It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show Gary Kulesha. He is the composer advisor with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. And he is here to talk about a very, very interesting performance that is going on and has a very special date coming up on September 30th, which is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. So, Gary, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. And uh, a little bit more about Gary. He has worked intensively on this project, meeting with Red Sky and all of the Indigenous creators and the TSO musicians over the course of several weeks of workshops and then the recording sessions. And he has transferred, translated, transcribed the ideas and music created by the Indigenous artists, the sounds and music that the TSO musicians could play, and trying to ensure that the sounds the artists heard in their minds were produced by the musicians as closely as possible. So uh, that it would take some undertaking, I'm guessing. Now, Gary, I also understand that uh, you have worked with Indigenous people uh, for, I guess, over a couple of decades now as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, we... Long before anybody was talking about the cultural imperative, um, you know, I, I worked with uh, Indigenous composer Barbara Crowell long before anybody thought of her as being Indigenous. She mm. was just a good composer. Mm. She was, in fact, an affiliate composer of the Toronto Symphony back in the 90s. Okay. So, and I conducted a lot of her work and, and we've had a very long relationship and I have a relationship with, um, actually in those days we spoke at length, although it never came to fruition, we spoke at length about creating an Indigenous Music Creators Music Festival through the TSO. It didn't work out, mm. but we did a lot of research. We re- reached across the border uh, and it turned out there were a lot of interesting options. The, the timing just wasn't right for it at that point. Right. Um, you know, more recently, I worked with Elliot Britton on Atizoka, and that was also with Red Sky. Hmm. I've had a long association, sort of peripherally and, and sometimes more directly with the Indigenous community. Mm. Now, I also understand you, you teach and you're involved with the University of Toronto, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. I'm a composition teacher there. So, uh, I heard you mention off the top here about, uh, of course, schools back in, uh, there's a lot of challenges involved with school, and uh, and you particularly pointed out a couple of things that I think people would find interesting about the challenges that uh, students, uh, as from from your perspective, are seeing. That's the, uh, just the, the I, I guess, coming back to class, the fear of coming back to class, the fear of mixing with people. Uh, you're seeing some of that, I understand. Well, we're seeing that, but I mean, you also have to keep in mind that for, for first year and second year, you know, the, the undergrad program is four years. Mm. The MA program is four years and then master's program is two. Right. And that for people coming into first year or second year, this is their first time on campus. Sure. You know, they've never been in a classroom at U of T before, and they're entering these classrooms under COVID and having spent a year working from home, learning from home. So this is a a whole, it's a double whammy for them. It's not just for some of them. It's not just that, you know, there are the the pressures of the pandemic, Mm. but they're also in an environment that is absolutely alien to them. And, uh, you know, we're proceeding as, as well as we can, and we're working with the assumption that people are doing responsible things, being tested, being vaccinated and doing all the right things. Um, and, and I mean, I personally am not particularly anxious, but if I were a first year undergrad, you know, it it would be a pretty intimidating time. Mm, Yeah, for sure. 
uh, thank you for for sharing that just as an aside now getting back to the uh, performance this is uh, I had a, a look at the uh, the small video the teaser that's out there it looks quite uh, quite interesting in terms of the way uh, they're interpreting the horse uh, that is involved uh, uh, Mr. Tim and uh, that is the name of the piece that's being performed um, when did you first get involved with the 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 artists, uh, the, the the indigenous artists, to start transferring and, and thinking and working on this? Well, the process is it goes back a long time. I mean, I, I don't want to put an exact date on it, but okay. certainly at least a year ago. Okay, you know, we were we started to to do the planning for this process. Um, I spent some time before we even got into selection process or anything else, I spent some time speaking with my indigenous colleagues about, you know, what would be appropriate, um, how, how best to deal with this particular situation. I mean, it would be all too easy for the Toronto Symphony as an organization to simply look for people who fit what we do anyway. Mm. That really wasn't the point. Mm. The point was to offer the resources of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra to interesting music creators to help them uh, realize their vision and to hopefully provide them with some additional options so that they would, you know, to open some of their horizons. Mm. So it was very important for us right from the beginning to recognize that this wasn't about finding somebody who was writing music and then making them make that fit for symphony orchestra. Mm. It was about finding somebody who was really, really interesting as a musician and figuring out a way to help them you know, expand their horizons and and do more with that, and hopefully look look forward to to uh, uh, some some kind of collaborations in the future. Hmm. All right. Well, this sounds like a good place maybe to take a pause and listen to the teaser that is on YouTube of Mr. Tim, so you can get to hear a little bit of what the show sounds like and imagine what it might look like if you were there to see it. All right. Let's give this a listen. This is the teaser for. Mr. Tim, the virtual presentation that will be coming out on September 30th.
All right, a little bit of Mr. Tim, which is going to be on September 30th, a virtual presentation for youth, in particular for schools, but open to the general public as well. You can find out more by going to Red Sky Performance or the Toronto Symphony Orchestra to find out more about uh, where you can catch that performance. Let's get back to our interview with Gary Kalusha. Yeah, that that is interesting. And I'm guessing that when you say that, it sounds to me like, of course, these these artists would not necessarily have any training in terms of the, the formal training process. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, what, what ended up happening, so it was, an, it was a North America-wide call for Indigenous music creators. Wow. Okay. And we had several, and then a, a sort of a composite co- a committee of, of Red Sky and Toronto Symphony. And we had Toronto Symphony musicians on it. Um, listen to the stuff and, and we narrowed it down to four people and, and what ended up happening is is two of the, the participants Malia Bamsawin and Stan Lutet actually have some post-secondary institution training mm. in music mm-hmm. uh, and Molly in particular is a very active she's a bass player she plays mm. you know okay. western art music on, right. on double bass okay. uh, but two of them have absolutely no background no musical background training at mm. all mm. Uh, Brian Gwiss is, is an electronica guy who works mm-hmm. with laptop Okay. Uh, and Lancelot Knight is he does everything he does on guitar and with voice Okay. and and uh, doesn't read they, these two guys don't read music I mean Molly reads music and right. Stan read, reads right. music but the other two don't right so it, it, they definitely come from a very broad background. Uh, that sounds fascinating. And it, it must be a really interesting process for everyone involved. I, I guess because um, I, I'm guessing you also find uh, and discover things in the process uh, from people that don't have any sort of structured way of looking at music or coming to this. I, I did. And, and what, you know, what has always struck me, I mean, I, I remember many, many years ago, um, the Griffin Trio had a project where they we it was a work I can't can't remember now the exact circumstances under which it came together but it was a work for piano quintets a string quartet and piano and a drum circle and they they asked me to come in and, and referee so to speak it didn't exactly need a conductor it needed somebody to coordinate right the two aspects of the ensemble. Mm. And I remember during that and that's a long time ago we're talking at least 20 years ago now. Mm. And I remember at that time being struck by how the drum circle, how similarly the drum circle, they were musicians, you know, they were just recognizably musicians, just like the guys in the string quartet. Mm. They went about doing things in a slightly different way, but their their thinking was they thought the way musicians think. Mm. The difference is that for them, this is an oral tradition. This is something, you know, we as as Western art musicians uh, read music and and the the goal is to decipher the the code, the written code, whereas for them, uh, it's all about memory and it's all about heritage and tradition. And that, that was, mm-hmm. that really played into what we did here in Mississippi, where the, the indigenous music creators um, uh, brought to it this, this sense of history and past mm-hmm. uh, that was alive and immediate. It wasn't about, it wasn't about what we do reading music. It was mm-hmm. about, the, the sounds of the world they lived in. I remember Sam Lotet did a, a beautiful, uh, just a very spontaneously in, in one of the workshops, he started talking about the music that he wrote in terms of the, the place where he lives. He lives up in the far north mm. and about, you know, his life in the wilderness and the forest and how he would get up in the morning and, 
and, and encounter this environment. And this was just magical for us. Absolutely magical because it's, you know, here we are stuck in the center of this, this burgeoning overpriced city. And here was Stan talking about this magical place that he lived and how it informed his music. It was very, very, not just educational, but inspirational. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, as you were talking there, talking about the drum in particular, I was thinking about um, how, how loud drums are and uh, powwow drums, the big drums. Uh, but the singers, I wanted to ask you about this, because the singers, um, when you hear, so you know, you, you are probably familiar that there's two different styles of powwow singing. Uh, there's a northern and southern style. One is the lower voices. The, the other one is the very high sort of falsetto kind of uh, uh, singers. And uh, I've, I've listened to some of those guys and they really get up there. I mean, they have incredible ranges that they are uh, bringing to the to the drum and to the singing process. Yeah, it's a, it's very much part of their heritage to learn these things. I mean, this is not unique to to North American Indigenous people. Yeah. There there are entire traditions all over the world. You know, Bulgarian sure. throat singing and the, the whole that whole super low thing that they do. All right. These are these are folk traditions that have evolved over centuries. Yeah. Yeah, I was just amazed at the range. Uh, that's what I was really getting at because I was going, you know, I, I, I would think a lot of people may not think of it as as being necessarily uh, either difficult and or that something that requires a lot of training or or that the, uh, the that, you know, you couldn't even call it musical, perhaps in some cases. But when you listen to these guys and the ranges they're pulling off and how oh, yeah. high they're getting, it's it's spectacular. Yeah. Well, just listen to Tanya Tagak. I mean, oh, yeah. just listen to that, sure. that vocal range. It's oh, yeah. absolutely astonishing. Mm -hmm. And the purity and clarity of her sound. Yeah. So you've been collaborating. The CSO is collaborating with Red Sky Performance. And you're doing this uh, Mr. Tim now. And um, you were talking about the four musicians involved. And, and you were transforming and, and uh, translating the music, the sometimes in this digital form, uh, into the instrumentation that the TSO can perform. How challenging is that for you to to look at some of the sounds, uh, especially, I guess, when, uh, you know, some of these sounds may be very, I'm guessing, earthy um, uh, and, and other things that, that need to be translated so that it still represents what, what everyone wants and, and can be played uh, by a, someone in a, in a Western instrument in the TSO. Uh, it was probably less challenging than it was time consuming. Mm. I mean, it was, I, I understood what had to be done. Right. And uh, the, the real key was to figure out, was to simply experiment until we found the sounds that were appropriate. I mean, the, the, the music creators came in excited about working with these acoustic instruments mm. and had really interesting ideas about what they would like the, the instruments to do. Mm -hmm. So um, when we had, we had a couple of workshops where the whole, on, of course, this was all online because of COVID, but right. the, the entire ensemble of, of TSO players uh, had their instruments, you know, in front of the camera and microphone and the music creators were on the other end and the, the TSO players were playing and demonstrating it's kind of the, 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 what you might call the normal way of playing their instruments. Mm. And then the, the, music creators were asking them, well, can you do this? Mm. Can you, can you make a wolf sound? 
<laughs> and you sound like the wind. Right. So it was kind of, and you know, the TSO players are, are fantastic people sure. and very flexible and very creative. Right. And they just warmed right up to this. They, yeah. were, they were thrilled to be asked to, to, you know, be creative with their instruments. Yeah. And, and we found a lot of very interesting solutions. It, it was very much trial and error. Now, not, I don't know how much, I have not heard the final mix, so I don't know how much of those, those sounds are, are in, mm. in the, the final product. Mm. But from the perspective of, of, from our perspective, it was really an eye-opening experience to think about our instruments in those yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Uh, it, it sounds like a lot of fun uh, as well. It was. It was very enjoyable. Um, in the end, I, you know, I had... Um, I got audio from um, from the the music creators because they don't work with typically don't work with MIDI. You know, MIDI is we right. record it in the computer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, they they do they do audio. They multi track with audio, and, yep. and we transcribed their audio into something I could read, uh, and then I put it into uh, notation software on the computer. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of sessions with the creators where I, you know, I would play back what they had played to me only using MIDI orchestral instruments. Yes. And that was really fun because mm. I was literally saying, okay, now, hey, do you want this on bassoon or would you like this on double bass? Right. And I could do that in the software. Sure. And they, they were just having a great time. I remember Stan Lowden, his eyes just lit up. Yeah, said, yeah. Oh, can you do it like this? Can right. you try it on trombone? <laughs> and it was a really, really uh, sort of a joyful experience. Right. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. That's wonderful. Now, this uh, this performance that is uh, being put together of a Mr. Tim, uh, that is, is for a younger audience, I understand. Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, for schools? Schools are going to have access to this? Uh, as far as I understand it, you probably need to speak to Sandra about this. Okay. The, those details. I mean, the only thing that we did was the music. Oh, I see. Okay. And uh, now, as I said, the, the date for this that's going to be made available is on September 30th, uh, Canada's uh, uh, first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation that is a, a, a federal holiday, at least across the country. And some of the other provinces have followed suit. But I understand at this point in time, Ontario has not, um, which is a bit of a shame because it would be uh, would be nice to have that uh, unified right across the country. How would you say in terms of education, in terms of awareness, uh, Gary, the the TSO and other members of of the orchestra, do you feel that they are their awareness of of the indigenous situation? You know, we've had, of course, a lot of attention brought forward in the last little while around the the um, the, the, the un, unmarked graves in several uh, residential schools across the country. I don't think anybody, I don't think it can be a Canadian, I don't think it can be anybody in the world without being aware of the situation mm. and, and uh, feeling, you know, the repercussions of mm. that and, and trying to figure out how to, to make things work going forward. Yeah. The, the, the big challenge in, in the, the Western art music, classical music community, whatever you want to call it, is, is to integrate, is to find ways to integrate the musical vision mm. of people who have stood outside of the Western art music tradition mm. into what we do. And I think the Toronto Symphony is extremely aware of that. Mm. Uh, as, I, as I said to you before, you know, we actually, we were working with Indigenous com- composers long before anybody was, mm-hmm. was thinking of, in those terms. Mm-hmm. We were just thinking in terms of, this is a good composer who we want to work with. Right. Uh, the players are very socially aware and are, you know, very concerned not just about the indigenous situation, but okay. but the situation with with anybody who has been marginalized or racialized. It's very much at the front of our minds, and I think 
you know, for an organization like the Toronto Symphony, relevance is very, very, very important. We are the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, and we need to embrace our community and figure out what it is that we can do mm. to make our community better and how, how we go forward under these right. circumstances. And, and of course, the mysticism is the story of reconciliation, and it draws attention to a, a young person who lives on reserve and another non-Indigenous person uh, living off reserve. And understand that the, the performance, although very uh, uh, scaled back in terms of what is needed on stage because I understand it's just a little fence that really separates that but the the, the ideas are, are very large in terms of, of the story that's being described and brought forward they, they very much are they're, they're very and you know they're not a biased point of view mm. Sandra Ron is a very a very a visionary artist mm. Who has a deep understanding? Of, you know, one of the things which which is is kind of problematic is that we we tend to think in terms of solitudes. You know, for years we talked about the two solitudes: mm. uh, English Canada and French Canada. Mm. And now we're talking about another solitude: the mm. Indigenous people. And the truth of the matter is, we're all people. Right. And sure. the uh, Sandra Laurent has this gift for seeing the humanity that underlies all of this. Her mm. her vision is is to understand, not to condemn, to understand why divisions have happened. And then how do we heal that? It's, mm. it's not about condemning. It's not about being angry. Right. It's about fixing it. Right. And, and that's, uh, that to me uh, by itself makes this a, a really, really exciting and worthwhile project. Right. Uh, Gary, is there anything else we haven't spoken about in regard to this performance or, or the things that you feel are as particularly excited about that you want to mention just before we finish up? Um, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I don't want to promise something that yep. we're not going to deliver. Yeah, no, understood. But there are some possibilities uh, that, that this could lead to something further, I guess. is Yeah, is yeah. And, and I mean, I really like a lot of the music. Not all of it will work in a concert suite. Mm. Some of it is just a background cue, you know. Mm. Uh, but I... I I'm pushing to, to create a little, you know, suite of miniatures right. uh, by the, the, of music extracted from this. And I don't know where it's going to go, but I would love to see it get off the ground. Mm. It, it sounds wonderful. Was this uh, filmed live and how it is being brought forward? Well, we were, uh, you know, we were filmed separately by okay. necessity. We, yep. Yep. we couldn't be there. And yes. so the result is that the soundtrack... Um, a lot of what the Toronto Symphony has done has been added to electronically, and I don't think it could be done live. Mm. I think if I think I believe that you know the theatrical part could be done live, but yep. it couldn't. My understanding is that it's not likely that the Toronto Symphony could take part in a live performance. It would have right. to be done with pre-recorded music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you see this as something that that? we'll see more and more of as we go forward in terms of uh, working with orchestras and the incorporation of digital uh, music uh, and these kind of things uh, as a hybrid? Oh, it's inevitable. Mm. It's inevitable. It, it broadens artistic horizons in, in extraordinary ways. Mm. Music creators are now coming at music from a digital mm. domain mm -hmm. and, and they're not, I mean, to them, you know, if you look back at the 60s and Roberto Gerhardt's, you know, Third Symphony was one of the first pieces to have orchestra with mm -hmm. a tape part. Right. Now we're, we're, it's vice versa. It's like a soundtrack with an orchestra. Right. And uh, it's inevitable that the digital aspect is going to grow in importance. 
Fascinating stuff. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Gary. I want to thank you for taking the time uh, out of your busy schedule to uh, talk to us about this wonderful upcoming performance of Mr. Tim. Gary, thank you once again for uh, taking the time to join us and all the best in the future. And really pleasure speaking with you. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Gary Kulesha. He is the composer advisor for the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. It's been a pleasure speaking with him. We're talking to him about an upcoming performance of Mr. Tim, which will be available on September 30th for Canada's first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. And it will also be available for young audiences and schools to view on September 30th um, and we're not sure if that will be then available for uh, online or, or just general public viewing. All right, it was great talking with Gary from the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Now we're going to follow that up with an interview with Sandra LaRonde, the Executive and Artistic Director for Red Sky Performance. And of course, that was the partner that the Toronto Symphony Orchestra partnered with on Mr. Tim. And it's a really a nice pleasure to welcome back to the show Sandra Laurent. She's the executive director and artistic director for Red Sky Performance. And Sandra was on the show back in, I think, around February. At that time, uh, she and Matthew Loden from the, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra were on talking about uh, a new performance uh, that they were getting going. They had a call out for uh, people to get involved at that time. Uh, Mr. Tim is what it was called. Now, that has moved forward. And, of course, we also just did an interview with Gary Kalesha, who is the uh, TSO's composer advisor, and he brought us up to speed on what the TSO side of things we're involved with. And now we have Sandra on to talk about that side of things as it moves forward because now it's gone digital. So Sandra, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, David. So, Mr. Tim, um, you know, as I say, last time you were on the show, we talked about the call going out. You guys were just getting this rolling forward. Um, and I believe you, were you pairing people up or am I getting confused with something else? We did a call yep. out for um, emerging composers, Indigenous composers yep. at that time. Yep. Yeah. And so we did a call. We um, did get four um, strong applicants and uh, together we created and recreated part of the um, of the Mr. Tim score for Mm -hmm. that, which Gary Kalesha. um, We worked with seven of the TSO musicians and uh, four of the indigenous music creators to to create the score for the digital version Mm -hmm. of Mr. Tim, which will be. um, coming out uh, as of September 30th. Very nice. Yeah, September 30th. That's right, of course, because it's the Truth and Reconciliation uh, 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 Day, which is being recognized in, in uh, federally across the country. And uh, some provinces are recognizing that as a, as a national holiday as well. Um, hopefully other provinces will get on board with that. I know a lot of other uh, organizations and, and things are happening on that day as well, which is kind of nice to see because it should be drawing attention to that. People are actually uh, getting on board with this and, and treating it like uh, like it, it should be. And I know that Mr. Tim, I, I got to see the teaser and it's a great teaser for, for the show. Um, and, and, you know, I have to ask you, Sandra, about about the other people you work with. Because uh, when I saw the the character of the horse, Mr. Mr. Tim, and I, I saw the the um, uh, costume 
which the the person wears. I thought, wow, that's really creative. I mean, all the all the work that has to go into something like that, so that a person can wear it comfortably, it's going to stay on, not going to fall <laughs> off, right? All of those kind of things. And I thought about there are so many other elements. We we focus on the story. We focus on getting together. The whole idea of getting these four uh, people, Indigenous people, coming in to work with the TSO, which is fabulous and and great, and and some great stuff there that uh, Gary was telling us about. Uh, turning, for instance, some of the traditional sounds and some of the things that, that they had uh, brought forward, uh, and, and even, all, of course, some of the virtual and, and uh, digital sounds that, that the artists had, had brought forward. But can you tell me a little bit more about that side of it? It's a fairly simple setup from what I could see. You've got a fence, you've got the, the two main characters, and, of course, the main character of Mr. Tim, which is the, the horse in the story. Time for a pause here on Moment of Truth. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our interview with Sandra LaRonde right after these messages. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. All right, welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And welcome back to the show, Sandra Laurent. She is the Executive Director and Artistic Director for Red Sky Performance. So, Sandra, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, David. So, Mr. Tim. Yes, we. there isn't a lot of props. The only props, really, is the fence mm-hmm. and... Um, pretty much it but um you're right there's so many things go into a production including a digital production Mm. so many elements that serve uh, come to serve the story and ideally they will all point towards the story and help to tell that story whether it's the beautiful mask of mr tim which Mm. is this horse head mask Mm -hmm. which is made out of a very very lightweight bamboo Mm. reed Mm. and um, it's super light. It yeah. probably weighs like five pounds. Right. And uh, we had to go through a few different um, versions of that mask to get it to something that we wanted. But we did work with an, uh, an excellent mask maker mm. um, in Toronto by the name of Karen Rod for that. Mm. And then the costume as well, the costumes, um, even how the fence uh, mm. comes together and yeah. and works, you know, it's it's... And the music, of course, and the, and the story itself. So, um, yes, and it was great to work with the Indigenous music creators, uh, Stan, um, Stan, Molly, Bryden, and Lancelot. And I know that they all feel that they've learned a lot in this process. And, you know, what we're doing is very groundbreaking um, in a lot of ways uh, with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, which have been, they've been uh, tremendously a, a great partner to mm. Red Sky Performance over the years. Mm-hmm. Our very first piece that we did um, was with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra mm. way back when in <laughs> 2000 or 2002. Mm. And uh, that was our very first show and the TSO was involved with it then. And then I came on as the curator for their 2017. And then I brought this idea to them about, you know, working on this particular project because it is a story that is created for children mm-hmm. about reconciliation. Right. Because everything I saw that was coming out was for adults. Right. Now, why don't they create something for children? Because right. children is actually, that's the generation that's really going to move the needle. Yep. You know, why don't, why don't we create something for them? And can you imagine, because I've heard young children speak with incredible uh, being incredibly articulate Mm -hmm. really saying things succinctly asking great questions like they're really um they can really have this conversation early 
And I mean yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, right. twelve year olds talking about truth and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. But we never use those words right. in our story. Mm-hmm. But it's all about that. And we never use um, the word leadership to talk about a new kind of leadership that is emerging in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never use that word leader mm-hmm. in it either. Because the stories, uh, it just accesses so many parts of a person, you know, and they can make sense of it how they wish, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, as elders say, you know, whatever you can hear in the story, you can take and use in that that day for yourself and but they also say but if you come back to the story 10 years it's going to be different or tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or two years from now you're always hearing something different Mm -hmm. in a story because it's really where you stand you know um and i love that and the other thing i love about indigenous stories is there's no moral to the story Mm -hmm. just whatever you can glean from that story to help you that's that's what's important but there's no one moral Right, and um, I love that because um, that means there's lots of points of entry into the story, right? Um, as opposed to just through that one moral, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody sees things differently, right? And um, so anyway, yeah. it's a beautiful story, and I'm so glad that we're working with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra again, and it was great working with Gary and the seven musicians and the four Indigenous music creators to make something really groundbreaking happen on on uh, on in the digital world yeah now that idea to take it digitally um was that partly due to covid um we always thought about mr tim having a bit of a film life Mm -hmm. um and i think we actually had something else planned with the TSO, okay. which is what it was going to be. And then that just kind of went sideways because of the pandemic. And I right. thought, oh, well, we still still work on something together. Right. And I thought, why don't we reimagine Mr. Tim now mm. for the digital space? And, and you know, let's play in that field and right. see how that works. So I guess, it, yes, in a way it was because of COVID that it fell to Mr. Tim. Yes. Yes. And as you say, it's it's in this digital format. It's going to be available on September 30th uh, for youth, for schools. I believe it's going to be available for schools? Yes, correct. And the general public, but okay. um, primarily we're trying to drive the school mm-hmm. audiences where all the children are. Yes. And now, the other thing you say is a story about reconciliation. It's from what I could see, there's three characters in this. Well, I'm going to I'm going to say four because you've got uh, Mr. Tim. You have uh, you have someone on a reserve. You have another person that is from a community that is right next to a reserve, and then you've got the fence. And the fence is very important. And there's, there's, like you said, it's a very st- sort of stark setup, but that fence is extremely important and plays a huge role in this. It does. And what we did with the fence was we created it so that it could be, it can shift. Mm. Uh, The fence actually moves. Mm. So when you go to the reservation side, the res side of things, the fence is pulled over and you see the res side of the Mm. fence. Mm -hmm. And then the fence can move again. And then now you see the ranch side of the fence. And then it actually becomes the back of Mr. Tim where they ride mm. upon a horse right. trying to make a getaway. <laughs> so, so the fence really, really moves and was wonderfully uh, designed by Andy Morrill. Mm. And um, so it had to do a lot of different things because mm-hmm. it's not just a fence sitting there. It's, it's like yeah. you said, 
it's almost like a character in, yeah. the, in the piece itself. Yeah, and 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 I really love what you just and how you describe the use of the fence and 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 really, you know. It, Unless I guess you have been on the res side of the fence, <laughs> you, you may not necessarily realize, realize that, though there is a different side to this fence looking at it from the inside and the outside onto these two different sides of the community. So that's great. I'm glad you, you brought that in there. I guess the other the fact that because you have uh, the fence, the Mr. Tim and the two main characters, uh, and it, it's such a simple setup, it really translates well to, to the visual form and, and the digital format, doesn't it? It does, it does. And, uh, you know, other elements help with that. We do have um, video mm. um, animation, I should mm-hmm. say, in the back mm. that also tells the story, uh, which was um, created by Ryan Weber. And then you have lighting, mm-hmm. and then obviously the camera itself. Yeah. Which, which is wonderful about the camera I'm working digitally is that, you know, you can actually, you know, have the viewer's eye go to where you want them to look mm-hmm. a little more mm-hmm. than when you're performing on stage. They just look everywhere and anywhere. Mm-hmm. But here you actually say, no, we want you to come in tight mm-hmm. and see Mr. Tim's eye in that moment, what he sees, for mm-hmm. example. Or we want you to see this expression or you want to see, you know, any, anything. So it, it actually affords this other kind of intimacy, which I quite love about uh, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, as you, you s- said, it's a play for young people, but the general public as well. And I'm sure there's things that, uh, that the general public a- and adults can take out of this story and uh, will learn from it as well. Absolutely. And adults love this mm-hmm. piece. It, it seems to be doing really well with... I would say as young as five up to about 12 mm. and then an adult. Mm. That's, that's the sweet spot for this, for this, um, for Mr. Tim. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so families can definitely watch this together and, and enjoy it as well as um, entire um, schools. Right. Now you said that you had, you know, this story uh, of Mr. Tim had already been in, in um, uh, the works and uh, COVID hit, and then you, you decide to use that. And then September 30th got, uh, you know, identified as a National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Um, mm-hmm. it, I guess that kind of fell nicely into this, right? I guess it, it was a great day for you to use as a launch date for this. Well, it made the most sense, yeah. for sure, and shine a light on um, truth and reconciliation in Canada and also the role that children could play yeah. in terms of um, learning learning more about it and being able to have a, a, the vocabulary and the words to speak about truth and reconciliation and to ask those questions. And, um, you know, we still have a long ways to go in Canada around Indigenous peoples and and what children know, because they're so honest. And mm-hmm. one question that is always asked, because this takes place um, in Saskatchewan, the story. Mm. Um, and so a lot of time, so it's sort of in Cree territory and, mm. and Tyrone Tatusis, uh translated all of because we do uh, bring language into it. Mm-hmm. And the horse only understands Cree, doesn't understand English. That's what I, what I had wanted. Mm. And because um, animals do sort of get confused in other languages mm. that they don't hear. Mm. So he only speaks horse and he only speaks Cree <laughs> or can understand. <laughs> and um, so it was great to, um, but the one question that children ask every single show, 
every single show, mm-hmm. they put up their hands and they say, is Cree a real language? Wow. And we say, yes, wow. it is a real language. Mm-hmm. And they, it comes from the Cree people and they live in Nehio and they live in this area and this area. I tell them, but mm-hmm. they don't even know that yeah. indigenous languages are real. Yeah. Wow. So, but it's honest. Yeah, you know, of course. And yeah. that's important. And so it's important just to answer them honestly yeah. and to teach them a little bit more without it, without it being didactic in any way. And, uh, but they ask very honest questions. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And they're really showing us where we, we where we're at yeah. in Canada. Very true. Uh, as you were saying that, I thought, it, you know, when you said, but it's it's honest, and it is honest, and y- you can't fault them for that. And the fact that they say it in such an honest, mm-hmm. open, and, and trusting way, uh, mm-hmm. it shows, like you said, uh, how much work is still necessary and mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, the gap that is still out there. Absolutely. So um, you've you've got this now in the digital uh, form. Yeah, well, it's been touring. It has been touring for the last seven years. Mm. It's been, uh, I think, a million children have seen it live. Oh, that's great. A million across Turtle Island. And we went over to China for a little bit. Um, so uh, many, many children have seen it, which is, which is extraordinary. Mm. Um, so... Uh, I would imagine it will continue to have a good life. Um, I would love to see some of our stories, you know, become ca- part of the canon of Canada, mm. um, you know, in the same way and Green Gables. Um, yeah. I, I would love to see, you know, some of the indigenous stories also uh, become part of Canada's canon, which means that they're there to be told for a long, long, long time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to create these essential stories is what we hope for and, and we hope that we're creating essential stories that have longevity and are relevant and timely and have a long lasting life mm-hmm. you're listening to element fm in toronto and ottawa 106.5 in toronto 95.7 in ottawa this is moment of truth i'm your host david moses my guest is sandra laurent the executive and artistic director of red sky performance and we're talking to her about uh Mr. tim which is a performance that that Red Sky and the Toronto Symphony Orchestra have uh, worked on together. They brought in, uh, put a call out earlier uh, to find uh, and came up with four Indigenous artists that helped create uh, music, which was then translated uh, by the Toronto Symphony Orchestra into their instruments for live performance. It has now become a digital performance and it's going to be uh, available to schools and youth on September 30th. And uh, that, of course, is the Day of Truth and Reconciliation, recognized uh, federally across the country and by some provinces. And hopefully Ontario will soon follow suit and do the same to turn that into a a holiday. Now, the thing is that... um, with this story of Mr. Tim, it's a story of reconciliation and uh, revolves around a horse, which is Mr. Tim. And Sandra, I'm, I'm wondering, the story, um, how, Mr. Tim is the, the center around which this idea of reconciliation is is. Uh, explored through the other characters, one which is Indigenous and one which is non-Indigenous, yes? Correct. That's right. And so, so how does the horse help facilitate that? Well, um, 
in terms of um, the re- the res and the ranch mm-hmm. side of things, mm-hmm. these children were taught never to go over that fence, mm-hmm. never. Mm-hmm. And they only go over the fence because this wild horse comes into their worlds mm-hmm. and turns their worlds upside down and they have to cross that fence. Mm-hmm. And, and by doing that, then they learn about one another. So he's kind of the catalyst mm-hmm. to make that happen. He's the one who sets things into motion, mm-hmm. almost like, you know, like a lot of our trickster stories, they start with somebody inadvertently mm-hmm. doing something. And, and, and the rollout is all these things happen as a result. Although Mr. Tim is not a trickster. Um, um, and also because there's different ways to tame a horse. And I was very mm-hmm. interested in um, the different ways like indigenous people tame a horse mm-hmm. versus other ways that horses are tamed. Right. Um, so-called tamed. And... Um, and I found that, um, you know, I, um, I wanted, um, um, I wanted Mr. Tim to have to be a parallel story to the girl's story, to the First Nation girl's story named mm-hmm. Speck, so that they have a parallel story. She doesn't have a mother. Mr. Tim didn't have a mother. Um, he was um, taken away from his mother when he was just a foal, and but she, but because she can understand what that feels like she understands him as a result of that and could empathize and feel and and be an an empath and have compassion Mm -hmm. for him Mm -hmm. she's not trying to break him right she's not trying to break the horse she's trying to have the trying to lead the horse but she also knows that she can also follow and give the horse some and that really struck with on just this little anecdote is I remember watching this documentary where they're talking, this indigenous woman was um, uh, training a horse and, you know, you know, I can't remember what they call it when they go, they run through all the pylons and like, it's, it's like a horse race, but they right. have to do all these different sort of things. Right. And then she had said, the indigenous woman had said at the end and she ended up winning, but she said, what I do now is I let the horse go through all this again. And I let him run past the last pylon. So he knows he still has free will. Hmm. He still can be wild. He hmm. can still be, he, he, cause he has a spirit and I hmm. want to honor that. Hmm. And, um, and I just, that just really struck a chord in me that the way that we train a horse is different. And the fact that we see the horses having a spirit, right. not just being spirited, but yeah. also having yeah. a spirit and able to make choices and, are creatures of compassion with big hearts, very generous creatures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you think about what all the horse has brought yes. to civilizations around the world, mm-hmm. it's extraordinary, yeah. really. Yeah. Wars and um, in helping humans um, move things, build things, like they've been so, so important to the so-called civilized world. Mm -hmm. And we forget that, Mm -hmm. you know, and we shouldn't because they were really instrumental in that. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you were talking there, I I couldn't help but think about, similarly to what you were saying, uh, about Mm. the idea of, of, the horse also is a, as a common uh, uh, focus for, 
showing, like you were pointing out, uh, that there's different ways of, of looking at something. So you have mm-hmm. you have the non-Indigenous person looking at the horse in one way, you have the Indigenous person looking at the horse in another way, and, and that also is, is that common area where they can start exploring something that is, uh, that is, is, is I guess, in some ways less confrontational and, and is something mm-hmm. of commonality that they can mm-hmm. come together on, which is really interesting in terms of the idea of reconciliation, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea of leadership, too. Mm. Yeah, 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 right. And, and, and it makes it just a, a very easy way. And I'm guessing that's why um, that kids relate so well to this, because it, it's, it's something that intuitively we, we, we get, right? We just get it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they, and they, they want to be, they believe Mr. Tim is a real horse. Yeah. The little kids, sure. you know, in the theater will poke each other and you, when the <laughs> actor comes and takes the mask off at the end and the little kid poking him and say, I told you that he was wearing a mask because you know, <laughs> it's so real to them. And it's just so lovely. And where they laugh and I mean, little, little kids, they see it much more visually. Yeah. They, they, so they love seeing the horse head. They just want to see the horse. Right. That's all they care about. And yeah. then a little bit older, you know, they're listening to the story. But even though a, a small child doesn't necessarily, you know, take in what the exact story is, we don't know what kind of impact that story will have yeah. on that person later in life. That's right. We all know that from all our lives, yeah. something that dawns on us much later. Oh, yeah. You know. And I think that's, but it's, it's, but it has the visual aspect of it. It has a great story. It has, you know, the music and it has, mm-hmm. you know, the visual, the animation mm-hmm. and uh, the wonderful acting uh, by Dakota Hebert and um, mm-hmm. Brendan Howlett McMurtry mm-hmm. and uh, Falcione Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, they did such a good job in, uh, in the acting for camera for this. So, uh, and very invested, and it's emotional, mm. and it's funny. Right. You know all the all the good things that a story right. should be about. Yeah, and so as you say, it's going to be available September thirtieth to schools, um, but you also said it's going to be available to the general public. So how will the general public be able to access this? Yeah, we have um, we have our Red Sky TV. Okay, so we will be showing it through our Red Sky TV, which is. Um, so people could actually go to our um, Red Sky TV and find the link there, or they can go onto our website and go to Mr. Tim and find the link there, or to the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. And in associate in association, we're also working with Crow's Theater. Okay, and you could also find the link through there. So there's three. Right places you can find the link but it all comes back to Red Sky TV yeah. where they will watch yeah. wonderful that's wonderful now the other thing we did talk about this we haven't talked in great deal about it but you had you ended up with these four indigenous artists that worked with the TSO uh, with their music to uh, translate, have it translated into instruments for the TSO to play and perform so that's another element of this which is uh, educational on the side of both the indigenous and non-indigenous uh, people working together uh, for for learning and for actually uh, uh, expanding uh, people's um, abilities and and horizons and and uh, the idea of opening up uh, I guess opportunities for indigenous artists to look at breaking down some of those walls and say hey this is this is maybe something I could 
perhaps think of working in in different ways, not just in uh, with the the kind of stuff that I have been working with. Mm-hmm. So how was that? How did the what what was your takeaway from the artist's perspective in terms of uh, getting involved with the project? You mean the um, music creators? Yes. Um, I think they were uh, really stoked mm. to be working with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra and to have somebody as experienced as Gary Kalesha uh, was pivotal to um, to the relationship between the music creators to the TSO. Mm. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think they learned a lot from him, I think they learned a lot about creating for children because that's that you're scoring things a bit differently. Right. So they're learning about orchestral music. Mm-hmm. They're learning. I mean, they do have some orchestral experience. Yes. Um, um, some more than others. Yes. And uh, but everybody was so different, and and I like and I love that. And um, so they worked on different parts of the score. Yeah. Um, and. So I, I know they, so orchestral creating for children and also a piece that has to be visual mm. is another element because a lot of musicians, they don't necessarily work with something that you have to score to. Right. A lot of times they're just they're yeah. creating music, sure. right? Yep. So yep. there's a lot of learning yeah. um, in a very accelerated way yep. uh, for them through this mentorship. And then we had them also... Um, uh, meet with a couple of other composers mm-hmm. as well to talk about orchestral music. And right. one of them, one of the composers I wanted them to talk to was a guy from Cuba, very young composer, very, very good young composer there. And then they also spoke with um, Elliot Britton and uh, Gary Kalesha mm-hmm. and myself. And, and then we had sort of, you know, um, met as a team mm. uh, often as well. So, right. Uh, but it was all done virtually. Oh, I've yeah. never met them since. So. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, there's the other side of that. And that, of course, is the, the TSO uh, musicians were also learning. Uh, I'm sure through this process, they not only were learning how to adapt and create sounds on their traditional instruments, uh, Western traditional instruments, um, that uh, worked with the ideas uh, of what the music creators were, were were bringing forward. But also, I guess it, it started to help with the idea of, at least in this sense, of the four people that were working on this um, were interpreting and seeing things as well. You know what? I, I kind of think this is kind of like the other side of Mistatim. It, it, it sort of parallels the story that you're doing on on with the story of Mistatim, uh, which w- w- was happening with the creators and the, the TSO uh, musicians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting. I like that. Yeah. Parallel. Yeah. <laughs> Sandra, it's yeah. been really, really a pleasure speaking with you. Congratulations on this. It looks like, a, you know, from what I could see of the teaser, it looks like it's translated really well into the uh, visual format and a digital format that people can see. And, and um, you know, is there anything else around this that we haven't touched on that you think is important to mention just as we finish up? I can't think of anything, David, and just thank you so much for um, having me on the show, on your show, and um, always great to talk to you. 
Yes, likewise, and uh, all the best in the future. Uh, and uh, you know, you've done some great stuff. And I know it's your twentieth year with uh, Red Sky, right? Is that 20? yes? So congratulations yeah, on that. Twenty years, boom, just like that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So congratulations on that. I guess you're you might be planning something uh, big, maybe in the future or, or next year. Yeah, maybe a little bit down the road. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, Gren, Sandra, wonderful speaking with you. Chimigwechinyawa go for taking the time to join us on the show. Yeah, All right. Thank you. Take care. See you. Bye-bye. Sandra Laurent, Executive and Artistic Director of Red Sky Performance, talking to her about the uh, the digital performance of Mr. Tim, which is going to be available September 30th for schools, but also online. And if you go to Red Sky TV, you can find out how to access that and uh, see it. All right. Our time is just about up here on the show. I want to thank you for listening to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. I'm going to finish off the hour with the teaser from Mr. Tim once again. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.